0: All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Riley's back there running tech today. So if you remember, that kid is a little two-year-old. He's growing all up. I don't know if you guys like to. Uh, maybe you don't actually care. Maybe this is just for me. But I don't know if you pay attention to how I do my sermons. That's probably more of what I pay attention to. Makes sense. Um, but you might notice, kind of, sometimes I pick series, if you will, or topical sermons. And a lot of times I base what I'm speaking on about what's going on, right? And so if I, if I read an article or I'm studying a certain uh, book or chapter or verse of, of, of the Bible, or even if I see a YouTube video that makes me think of, of a sermon, uh, that's what I'm talking about. You got to have it come straight from things that are going on, right? And so that's why you get sermon series that last two months about working on my house and stuff like that, because it's what's going on in my life, right? And so probably two, maybe three weeks ago now, I, I saw this YouTube video from um, a teacher on, online that I really like, and I was like, man, that's some good stuff. And I watched the video, and I wrote down like five sermons, five sermons in like three verses each, With it just flowed right out on paper. And I was like, man, this is it. This is the next series. Uh, this is where we're going to go. And then I wrote it down on that piece of paper and took it upstairs with me, and day or two later Christmas morning I'm picking up all these boxes and paper from presents that we just opened and I picked up that piece of paper with my next two months of sermons on it I looked at those and I'm like I don't need this closed it and threw it in the fire I don't know why I did that because I looked at it right so we're uh driving to Texas and I I'm pretty sure this is how it happened Courtney can correct me if I'm wrong I just look over to her like I threw away that piece of paper. I threw away my sermon plan. I had scripture on there and everything. So we're on, you know, traveling across the country, staying in the hotel, visiting our family. I watched that video three more times. I have no idea what those sermons were. Can't even think of them. All I could get is like one kind of half topic. So needless to say, that's not our next sermon series. Maybe that was God trying to intervene. He's like, Harold, you need to... You need to focus back in, and and that's a good thing actually. Sometimes, because I can get kind of stuck on these ruts where I do topical series, and I've done probably two or three in a row now. So, maybe it really was God directing me to go back to the Scripture, and teach some sermons straight from the Scripture. So that's what we're going to do for the next little while, and we're going to be uh, in the letters of John. So we're going to start in First John, and First, Second, Third John. They're all pretty short when you combine them together. The uh, second and third book are just like half a page each. So we're going to spend some time looking at First John and, and the following letters. And if you will open your Bibles there, uh, we're going to be there in a in a few minutes. But First, Second, Third John are pretty easy to find. You can go to the end of your Bible and go back a couple, and they're pretty short. So get past Revelation, and then there's a the few short books right before it, and you will find the letters of John uh, right there before Revelation. And so, this is what we're going to do. I want to take, take a look at the text and just share what God wrote through the Apostle John here. And uh, kind of, I guess, not be stuck on topical sermon series like I have been for a little while. So, we're going to look at these letters from John. But before we start reading this book, I want to give just a little background. And I'm afraid I'm going to spend too much time giving you background, but it's important before we read we can kind of understand the world that this is being written to um, and, and what's going on. So in 1 John, basically these are some short letters written to who? Well, they're written to the church. These are written to Christians and we've been studying uh, Hebrews and we know that on Wednesdays that book has been written to Christians as well and they're struggling with something. And so John's writing these letters to the church, to Christians, and so we might actually see again some of those same things. What? What are the Christians struggling with? What do they need to work on? What is he trying to encourage them with, right? And so when you look at what Paul or what John is writing to the church, I think a lot of it can be taken for us as well. But a lot of times, especially me, I love the beginning of the church. You know we did We're reading Luke right now, and uh, Acts is kind of like Luke chapter two or Luke, Luke book two. And if you notice, kind of in the last series, looking at mission, I spent a lot of time in Acts. It's the beginning of the church, and I love that. It's cool to see what the church started like. This is not those Christians. In the letters of John, we've had some some time passing now. This is like second generation, a whole new century almost, of Christians um, who are trying to follow Christ now. But it was probably a generation before them where they got to see Christ in the flesh, right? Uh, John is writing this probably in his later years. And he's probably one of the last that got to see Jesus in the flesh. And I'm saying that, and you guys are probably like, okay, I'll take your word for it. We don't know exactly when this book is written, okay? But we definitely know it was written after the fall of the temple in 70 A.D., and it's likely that it's been some time. So it wouldn't be crazy to say this is written in the late 90s. <laughs> That's fun to say because we have a late 90s too, right? So like 96, maybe even uh, AD 100. Think about it. 100 years is, is enough for a generation to have moved to the next, right? And so these, a lot of these Christians have the stories and the gospel message, but they've never seen Jesus in the flesh. And so they're a lot like us. I don't think anyone in this room has seen Jesus in the flesh because you'd have to be a couple thousand years old, right? So they're a lot like us. The church and the Christians have had some distance from Jesus in the flesh. And whether it's because of that or just because of our human nature, they've started to slip up a bit. There's some things that John will address in this letter that are going to be challenging to them, and I think they'll be challenging to us. So they're starting to slip I guess, back into the world. And we'll read about that here in a minute. I don't want to give too much away. But they're starting to slip back because they haven't seen Jesus in the flesh and the miracles that he did in person. But even though the Christians might be slipping up a little bit, the world as a whole in the late 90s or after 70 AD, culturally, is doing great. This is a time where lots of things are happening. Lots of of knowledge is taking place. Lots of great civilizations rising up. This would probably be um, around the time of Pompeii being hugely successful, right before Pompeii is no longer there, right? This is probably around the time when the Colosseum is being built and Rome is thriving. Culture and the world, we're doing great, but the Christians are starting to slip back, starting to forget what they're there for. So sometimes, again, that can apply to us. Sometimes we feel like, finally, our world is doing great. We are successful. But yet, as Christians, we might be slipping back. They have, just like us, a world full of knowledge, intellectualism, lots and lots of education. And we definitely still have the same things, but yet they're missing the gospel message. They might be dealing with... um, some cultural problems like Gnosticism or these are big words and I'm going to try and say them right. Asiatism, right? How do you say it? Sure, whatever that word is. I write it down and I'm like, I don't know how to say this, right? So basically that's the idea of you can teach yourself anything. Anything can be done if you're strong enough. Well man, do we have that in our culture today? Uh, Yeah. That's kind of a Wyoming culture mindset, isn't it? Anything I can do, I can pull myself up by the bootstraps and get it done. I struggle with that one. That's the same thing that the Christians in 1 John are struggling with. Because that's our culture, right? Or what about Gnosticism? That's the first one I mentioned. That's the idea of intellectualism and knowledge is more important than anything else in the world. Maybe we see that less here in rural Wyoming, but we know tons of people, or we see it on the news, right, that their God has become how smart they are. Their God has become the education in them. So that's some of the same stuff that the people, the Christians in 1 John are being written to, the same stuff that they are dealing with. And so John is writing back to remind them of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus. He's reminding them that none of these things are what we're worshiping. None of these things are what our faith is based on. And it doesn't matter which mindset you come from. See, they also have mindsets that they're dealing with. They have the idea, basically, on the spectrum where you should eat, drink, and be merry and have everything that you could ever desire. That's a mindset going on in their culture. But they also have the stoic mindset or you should deprive yourself of everything. So these Christians are just struggling with all of these different thoughts in their culture, and they're forgetting about Jesus. So John's writing them to remind them, it doesn't matter what you think about the world, remember what Jesus has done for you. So that's a long introduction, but now you kind of can understand where these Christians are at. And when I think about the, the culture they're in, I think, man, that's a lot like ours today. We struggle with the idea that should we have everything we could ever desire or should we be frugal and deprive ourselves of everything so we can serve God better? Neither one's quite the right answer. We also struggle with knowledge being our God. That's not the right answer. So basically, I, I read this and I think, man, we're in the same culture as these guys. Okay. 1 John chapter 1. Let's read this together. I'm going to start with the first four verses and see um, kind of John's introduction and what we can take from it. So I'm going to mix it up on you guys a little bit. I'm going to be in the NLT this morning. So that's Larry's going to be comfortable with that. But read it out of your version and, and see how it compares. I just really like how straightforward the NLT put this. First John, chapter one, verse one through verse four. John writes, "We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning." whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Just the first four verses, text by text, what's John, or what's John doing here? Well, he's introducing this book. This is definitely an introduction, right? But he reminds them what this book's going to be about. Almost through every line of that until the last verse I read, he says, this is about Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God, Jesus Christ, who we saw, right? He's reminding them almost every single verse, why I'm writing you is about Christ. Why I'm writing you is that I saw him, and we've seen him, and we can tell you that he is truly the Son of God. He's reminding them the gospel again, right? But he has another purpose here, two more actually, not just to remind them of Jesus, but John uses a really good word here that we still use to this day. He says, I'm writing you so we can have fellowship together. It's a good word. What does fellowship mean? Ever think about it? We use it all the time. Have a little fellowship over dinner. Well, it means that we can be one together, right? We're not going to be divided. We're fellow, and we're coming together. Why does it matter that he's writing about Christ and that they have fellowship? Well, if these Christians are slipping away, they're starting to lose the purpose of gathering together. They're starting to lose the purpose for their life. It's all about Christ. So he wants them to refocus on it all being about Christ. And then one more thing in the introduction that I love, because I've kind of been on a soapbox about it lately. Why is he writing this? So that they may have joy. They might share in the joy that John is already having. Joy. Joy is there for them. He's basically telling them if you are forgetting about Christ and you're forgetting about fellowship, what are you joyful in? Are you joyful in the world? Because I want you to share in the joy of redemption with me. I want you to share in the joy of freedom. So does this apply to us today at all? Well, that's where my my soapbox is, right? I said it a while back, but man, we shouldn't have grumpy churches. Grumpy churches shouldn't be a thing because this is a whole bunch of messed up people who don't get judged that way. We should be joyful because we've been redeemed. And even though we're still dirty, we look clean to the Father. That's joyful. That's the joy that John wants to share with these people. So he introduces this book. He introduces it to the Christians, and he's already kind of telling them what the whole point is. Tell them what you're going to tell them, right? He wants them to have joy. He wants them to be fellowshipping with him. But then he gets right in to some of the challenge that he's writing about. So read with me here in verse 5, verses 5 through 10. He's going to get right into kind of part of his challenge. I'm still reading out of the NLT, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from Jesus, and now we declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying If we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness, we are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all of our sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. That was the NLT. But I also want you to catch verses 6 and 7 out of the ESV. This might be more like what you were reading. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, there's just a subtle difference there, and I'll talk about it here in a second, but the main point is Jesus is the light. You guys might remember that light bulb all the way back from 2019. First time, uh, or my interview sermon, I guess, right? It's been hanging out in this building ever since. But Jesus is the light. And the reason I read that ESV version, and NIV shares this too, and it's like the light is moving because we're walking in it. You ever thought about it like that? We started talking about that in class the other day. It's like we're following Jesus as he is the light. He's holding the light in our image, right? We're following him as he's always progressing. So instead of a light that's stationary, we're walking. If we stay put, we slip back into the darkness. That's what John is sharing with these Christians here. Be walking in the light. Jesus is the light and he's walking, so follow, right? Walk. Or at least, for the very least, stop living in the darkness. Start walking towards Jesus because where you're at right now is not him. Again, this is overlapping so great with where we're at in Luke in our Bible class. Light and dark. But if Jesus is in the light and we are in the light with him, there's no darkness. That's what John is saying, right? God is light and no dark. There's no 50-50. No shadowy area for God. Same for Jesus, right? Light is godly. Dark is worldly. You're in one or the other, no halfway. And he's saying, you need to stop living in the darkness. You need to stop living in the world and saying you're walking in the light because you cannot have both. So is that a challenge for them? Absolutely. They're in a culture full of different knowledge and mindset and tons going on. But is that a challenge for us today? Yeah. I mean, how often do we think, man, if I could just stay put, just stand here, I'll be fine. (laughs) No, we have to keep walking with Jesus. It's crazy how, how we can see brothers and sisters sometimes stop trying to live for Christ and just say, I'm good enough and how quickly the world takes them back. How world the world, the darkness, can completely consume them in what just seems like a few days It's because they stopped walking with Jesus. They stopped walking in the light. That's what John's challenging, the church. So yeah, it comes to us again today. But as Christians, we're supposed to be changed, so how do we do this walking in the light thing? Well, John didn't just leave it as an analogy He told us how we can walk in the light. Did you catch it here in these verses? Verse 8 and 9. Actually, let's go to 9 first. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do we keep walking in the light? Well, one step of that that John says right here, doing it again, that John says right here is, confess our sins. That's our side of the deal, isn't it? Christ's side of the deal is, yeah, he'll keep forgiving him. He'll keep continually cleansing you. So how I picture this is that we are going to continue to have sins. So what do we do about that? Well, we continue to confess them. And Jesus pulls us back out of the darkness into the light and says, keep following me. We need to give them to Christ and not just hold them to ourselves. Because if we don't share, we don't confess, we're just standing in the darkness. We have to walk back into the light. But did you catch this? We're still not perfect. I said that a few weeks ago, too, um, when, with our mission statement. It says right at the beginning, striving. I love that. Because we haven't completed this ever, Right? But right here, John is even sharing again that we're not perfect. In fact, he says you should continually confess your sins, meaning that they will continue to happen, so you'll still be a sinner. But then in verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, John is obviously talking about the past that Christians have had. Remember, he's writing this to the church, and he's telling them, if you say you're not a sinner, you're lying to God. You're making God a liar. So again, the idea is these Christians aren't perfect. Welcome to the club, right? Because we don't want to make God a liar, but we do want to confess that we are sinning yet again. Bring me back into the light. Let me follow you yet again. We are continually redeemed by Christ, right? We weren't perfect after baptism and never sinning again. Let me know if you are. We can talk about it and we can maybe see if that's really true, right? But for me, just like everyone else, we are continually confessing and being redeemed, and we are continually still sinning, trying more and more to walk like Jesus every day but redeemed by Christ. John doesn't leave it right there either. That's the end of chapter one. But we put the chapter breaks in because thank goodness he didn't leave it right there and say, if you think you're not a sinner, uh, you're calling God a liar. No, no, he says, you are still redeemed. Read with me here in chapter two, first six verses, and this is all I'll read for today. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but isn't living in the truth. Hold on, I lost my spot here. They claim that I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments. That person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him. This is how we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So that's the last piece of scripture I want to read today, but thank goodness John didn't just leave it and say, you're just a sinner. He reminds us right off the bat that Jesus is the advocate who pleads the case before the Father. Jesus is the one who is continually cleansing us, continually making us redeemed, is how I really like to say it, continually redeeming us. That's the good news right there. That's the whole point of what John's trying to say. He's trying to tell him again, remember the gospel? Remember what Jesus did? That's it right there. He came to save you from damnation. And not only you, but the whole world. See, this is an encouraging and challenging statement. I know that I've been redeemed and I will be set free on judgment day. But I also know he gave it to the whole world. And what am I doing about that? If I have the best thing that could ever be given, um, freedom from death, best thing that can ever be given, and I'm not doing anything about it, what is the point? Do I think this is just a social club that I get with you guys? I like you all, most of you. I like you, but that's not the point of why we're here. Even if I didn't like you guys, we still need to be here because the point is we are walking in the light and now we're going to go tell people about the light. This isn't just for our friends and family that we like, this is for the whole world. That's what John just said. So it's encouraging that we've been set free from hell, but it's challenging because we know that everyone can be set free from hell if they walk in the light. And what are we going to do if we see people standing in the darkness? Just let them stay there? No, we want to tell them. We want to bring them along. And again, we started talking about that a little bit in class, right? How are some ways we can witness in the light we can live our lives differently? We can walk in the light. But also, sometimes people just need a little reach out. So that's, that's part of our challenge. And then there's another challenge here, too. In these last few verses I read, whoever loves God... Whoever walks in the light, what's he do? Or he or she? Verse 3, And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse verse 4, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Oh, Again, there's more hard work there, isn't there? What are his commandments? Right here. How are we going to walk and live his commandments? Got to read them. Got to know what God wants us to do with our lives. And then the second part of that, we actually have to do it. We actually have to do it. And it's all of this, right? God's commandments are through the Old and New Testament just as much the same. We can take wisdom from the Old Testament. Think about Proverbs. That's in the Old Testament, right? Tons of things about how God wants us to live our lives in Proverbs. Wisdom about finances and friendships, how we should take care of our lives. Old Testament. What about New Testament? Well, Without the New Testament, we wouldn't know how to be saved. We wouldn't know how to be Christians. We wouldn't know how to uh, disciple one another and to preach and teach like the apostles and Jesus did. It's not exclusive one way or another. The commandments are there for us to follow throughout the whole world. So what do we do? We know them and we follow them. Yet another way that we can be witness to the whole world. Yet another way we can let everybody come in to this light. So that's as far as I want to read today. And I know this is a little different than a topical sermon. But there's a lot of good stuff just coming straight from the text here, isn't there? John's writing a church much like us today, a church who's struggling with the world and trying to not be consumed by it. And he's writing them to tell them to continue walking in the light, something we are challenged to keep doing ourselves. He tells them how to do that. He says, give it to Christ, confess your sins because you're not perfect and you'll still be a sinner. Confess it to Jesus, but while you're doing that, Remember that you're evangelizing, because this is for the whole world, and you are to keep God's commandments. Sadly, I see Christians like to pick one or two and leave the other, because it's a lot of work. I like to really uh, walk in the light and tell people that I'm walking in the light and try and bring them with me, but then I don't follow the commandments. Those don't work out very well together, do they? Because the one with truth follows the commandments that's all all I want to cover today. But I want to remind us that we are continually redeemed by Christ. We are continually covered by His grace when we confess our sins to Him. But also, just like the church, second generation here in 1 John, we have a challenge to go out and to live the Bible for other people. So this week, tomorrow, for the rest of your lives, keep walking in the light. Because he is the light. Jesus is. And in the light is no darkness at all. And in the darkness is no light. So let's walk with our brothers and sisters in the light for the rest of our days. That's it today. Thank you.